And I'm Amy. And this is Right to Remain Silent, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to episode eight. Yes, episode eight. I got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll just get straight into the question. How are you this week, Amy? Very tired. Again. Again. It's these 11-hour shifts on a Sunday. They just do me in. Yeah, it's not right. No, not really. I don't understand. You're not even open, so why do you need to work 11 hours? It's because we've got so much stock, because we're so busy. So, like, those three hours after we close, or three and a half hours after we close, uh, restocking the shelves. Exciting. Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, what have you been up to? Other than work? <laughs> um, I started Nosferatu, but we'll talk about that later. Yay! Okay. <laughs> About time. Um, I finished watching Misfits and started watching Sons of Anarchy. Have you? And yesterday, me and Dave did a tour of supermarkets because nowhere's open and we wanted to go out. Very exciting. It was. We bought baubles and vitamins and a couple of Christmas presents. So. Okay. Is that where you when you got mine, the one yeah. that we weren't supposed to buy each other? Yeah, when we said, let's not buy each other presents this year, and then I found one while I was out, and then bought something online when I got home. Yeah. <laughs> so now I've got to figure out what to buy you. <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> this year, because everyone's like, what do you want for Christmas? So it's just, I really don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything that I really want, so it's a bit difficult. But yeah. How's oh. your week been? Not too bad, actually. Like, I've had a couple of bad days, but I think overall it's been pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I've just took my at the hospital on Wednesday and Thursday. So we had to go and pick some equipment up and then take it back the next day. That's why we went two days in a row. Uh, went to Frostburger on Wednesday, which was fantastic. <laughs> I had a double trouble, which is like a Big Mac and a Biscoff milkshake. See, I don't know how I feel about Biscoff because I've always sort of avoided it just because I didn't really know what it was. Mm. And then we got gifted some Biscoff cookies from some family and they were actually really good. They are good. Mm. should get the Biscoff spread. It's amazing. I don't think I'm going to go that far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good on cinnamon and raisin bagels. See, I wouldn't even be as adventurous as to buy cinnamon and raisin bagels. I never eat bagels. I don't see the point. Why? A big hole in it. Just so buy a balm. It's not the same. It's a totally different texture. <laughs> uh, Sound like Dad. You don't boil a balm. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we'll get people saying, it's not a balm, it's a bap, or whatever. It's not. It's a a balm. tea cake. Yeah. A balm remember- cake. I remember when I first went to Dave's parents' house and they were like, do you want a toasted tea cake for breakfast? And I was like, yes. Thinking yeah. it would be the tea cake that we have. With currants with... in. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a toasted balm and I was like, oh, I'm going to have yeah. to eat this now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a girl at work. She, I, don't, I can't remember where she's from. It's like uh, Blackburn or something. And she, when you go to the chippy and you ask for a chip balm. Yeah. She asks for a chip muffin. What? What the hell is a chip muffin? That sounds vile. 
it, it sounds like, well, it's not even an English muffin, is it? That's not what she means. No. She means bam. It's a chip butty. Don't matter what kind of bread you get it on. <laughs> yeah, but a butty for me is like sandwich bread. Usually mm-hmm. at the chippy they do bams. Yeah, but I'd, I'd still ask for a chip butty. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else? So there was loads I was going to say and now I've forgotten everything. I'm caught up on the new Mandalorian. Oh, that's good. I was really disappointed to find out they come out weekly. So oh. we've watched all three that are out up to now. It's really good. Just want to binge it. Um, Watched the first episode of His Dark Materials Season 2. We were going to watch it tonight, but Mike's hurt his back walking Wilson, so he's took his medication to stop his back hurting and he's just asleep. He's been asleep <laughs> since about four o'clock. Oh. He just can't stay awake. So yeah. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Went for a nice walk today. Where'd you go? Risley Moss. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was busy, but I wanted to wear my new walking shoes oh. pro- properly. I wanted to get them muddy. Yeah. So I feel like they've been used. <laughs> yeah, you've walked in your walking shoes. Yeah, so I've walked properly in my walking shoes, not just walking the dog around the block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a new Hoover. You did, and you were very I was excited. very excited about my new Hoover. Um, Dave was very... He was being a knob, basically. He was like, why have you got a new Hoover? We don't need a new Hoover. This one works fine. Even though it doesn't, because you have to manually switch it over from, like the bottom part of the hoover to the pipe right and i physically can't do it you have to like put your finger in somewhere and flip a switch and oh it's just a pain in the bum kind of like how my fridge freezer isn't broken according to mike but it's leaking water and it has been for a year (laughs) yeah like that yeah 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 so i am dad fully charged it for me because i sent it to his house to be delivered so i didn't miss it i went and picked it up on friday after work and i hoovered the entire house and it still has battery left, so... Amazing. Dave can go and swivel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we've been doing this for eight... Well, say nine episodes, including the spooky one. Yeah. We've never actually said that we're sisters. We've not. So, yeah, me and Amy are sisters. Yeah. <laughs> That's why when we say dad or mom or granddad, we don't go, my dad, Your, my yeah. mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm the big sister. Yeah. I'm the little one. Yeah, even though she sounds older than me. And even though I act like the older one. Yeah, there's been plenty of times that Amy <laughs> has got me undressed because I'm that drunk I can't even undress myself. Yeah. Um, even when she was 16 and I was 20. So, <laughs> you know. I've always I'm... been the, what's the word? More sensible. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've kind of got a role reversal. Yeah, but it works. It does. Uh, should we just get into this then? Yeah, let's no, go. I can't remember what I was going to say. I did write it down. I always write things down at work on a post-it note and then leave my post-it notes at work. <laughs> That's not very helpful. No, oh, <laughs> I think I've got about eight post-it notes in my bag, but I haven't looked at any of them since I put them in my bag. Yeah, let's hope it's nothing important that you were supposed to do by a certain date. <laughs> no, it's all just podcast stuff that I just oh, write right. on post-it notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This week, we are doing a case that was re- recommended to us. Stop it, I can't say recommended. It's... You want me to just do it? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to stop laughing first. Just give me a second. 
I'm going to leave this little bit in because I've tried to say this sentence for the last... How many times have I said it? Five. I got it wrong. five times. I got it wrong every single time. And you just sat there laughing at me. Okay, so I'm going to try and say it now. And if I get it wrong... I will laugh at you. Okay, so this week we're doing a case that was recommended by Rebecca on our Facebook group. So thank you very much for that, Rebecca. Um, It is the case of Helen McCourt. So this case is something I'd heard about because of the campaign that her mum decided to do later on. But I didn't realise it was for Helen McCourt. I I didn't know about the case that it was associated with, but I knew about the campaign. Um, It's a fairly local one. It's See, we talked about this, didn't we? It's yeah. in Billinge. Now, I thought Billinge was in Wigan. And it, it was. It sounds like it would be in Wigan. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's like you can hear it in a Wigan accent. Yeah, but everyone from there has kind of got a slight Scouse accent. Have they? Well, according to the, do- the documentaries that I've watched, yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, up until the mid-70s, it was in Wigan. Um, or Wigan, if you're from Wigan. Um, <laughs> but then, when they changed all the boroughs, it got moved into Merseyside. So now it's like, it's kind of basically in the middle of St. Helens and Wigan, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, I was confused about that at first. But anyway, Billinge isn't too far from us. Um, some of the things that were found to do with this case were found in Warrington. I've actually been to two of the places today where they found um, the clothing and stuff. So that's nice. Grim. Yeah, I was I was finishing off writing it and I was like, Holly's Green, been there today. Rixton, I've been there today. <laughs> I suppose it's kind of fitting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to, it just happened. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to do sources because, again, I forgot them last week, so I want to make sure that I did them. Um, the first one that I want to highly recommend about this case is a documentary called A Town and Country Murder. It's season two, episode five. I watched that this afternoon and it gives a lot more backstory to the case than anything else I found online. With it being a case from 1988 and it not being one of those big cases, there's not a lot of information about Helen, like who she was and about um, the relationship between her and the killer. So... That was quite good. There's also another documentary called When Missing Turns to Murder, Season 1, Episode 1. Didn't get a chance to watch that, but I will do. Uh, The usual Wikipedia and Murderpedia, Wigan Today, Liverpool Echo, Sky News, The St. Helens Reporter, Gov.uk and Change. Helen McCourt, 22, was on her way home from work on the 9th of February 1988 and was excited for a date that evening with her new boyfriend. She got off the bus in Billinge, Merseyside and made her way home, which should have only taken a few minutes. Helen never made it home and hasn't been seen since. This murder case was the first in the UK to use DNA to convict the murderer without the presence of a body. 32 years later, Helen's body still hasn't been found and her mother, Marie, continues to campaign to change the law so that convicted murderers will not be allowed to apply for parole until they disclose to the family where the body of the victim is resting. 
Marie still hopes she will find her daughter's body one day and won't give up until she does. Helen McCourt lived in the small village of Billinge with a population of around 6,000 people with her mum, Marie, stepdad, John and younger brother, Michael. On Tuesday the 9th of February, 1988, Marie had planned to meet Helen for lunch in Liverpool City Centre, but due to bad weather and Marie being a nervous driver, she decided to just go home. Helen called home from work at Royal Insurance, where she worked as a clerk at around 4pm, to ask Marie if she could make dinner earlier that evening. She had a date with her new boyfriend and wanted to eat early so she had time to wash her hair before she left. Helen called again shortly after to ask if she could borrow Marie's car that weekend and Marie laughed and said they would talk about it when she got home. That was the last time she spoke to Helen. She said she would be home between 5.15 and 5.30 but never arrived. Due to the bad weather, Marie wasn't concerned straight away, thinking that Helen's train may have been delayed but after checking, she found that her train had left at the expected time. Marie then called Helen's workplace and several hospitals and after no luck she drove back into Liverpool city centre to look for her. Her search ended at the city centre police station where she reported Helen missing. The officer Marie spoke to was sceptical that Helen was missing but Marie was insistent that she wouldn't have gone somewhere without first calling home to let Marie know. What happened to Helen is vague. It seems that she got off the bus at a usual stop at around 5.15pm. And shortly after, a man getting off another bus heard a scream that was cut short, coming from the George and Dragon pub, now named the Billinge Arms. Helen had a disagreement with a woman at the pub two days earlier due to the woman spilling her drink over Helen and becoming physical with her in the toilets. Due to this incident, Helen had been barred by landlord Ian Sims. Ian was 31 years old at the time, married and had two children. Ian lived in the flat above the pub for security purposes and his family lived in a house nearby. He was a bodybuilder, did Thai boxing and saw himself as a ladies' man. He has been described as arrogant and a bully. According to several customers, Ian used obscene language about Helen and talked about how much he hated her. He had previously made sexual advances towards Helen and it was rumoured that Helen knew about the affair he had been having and was gossiping about it. Helen worked as a barmaid at the pub the year previous, so they knew each other on a working and personal basis. The following morning on Wednesday the 10th of February, two officers arrived at the McCourt house to gather more information, and on Thursday, the police force had 120 officers doing door-to-door inquiries on Helen's walking route home from the bus stop to her house. They covered both private and business properties, The officers questioning residents pay particular attention to male occupants who either lived alone or were alone at the time of Helen's disappearance. They also searched inside garages and sheds, as well as surrounding overgrown areas. Their investigation took them to the Georgian Dragon, as it was along Helen's walking route, and she was also a regular at the pub before she had been barred. They spoke to Ian Sims, and although he seemed to answer questions quite easily, When they began to ask him about Helen's disappearance, he started to hyperventilate. It was at this point that the officers decided to take him to the police station to ask more questions, and he became a person of interest. Helen's brother Michael stated he wasn't surprised that he was being questioned due to his reputation. Don't you think this is like a case of really good police work? It does seem to be, yeah, because it's not often that 
they, I mean, for them to have 120 officers literally two days after she'd gone missing, just paroling the streets and knocking on doors and asking questions, it's not something you really hear of anymore. No, it's not at all. Like I think they worked so quickly to try and find where she was. And I don't think a lot of places have 120 officers spare anymore. <laughs> That's true, yeah. You know, the amount of officers that work for probably the, you know that one station is probably halved at this point. Yeah. So it's good that they had so many bodies to, you know, put the work in and find out where she was. Yeah, I didn't think about that because obviously there's been a lot of police cuts, hasn't there? And yeah. Like you say, they've probably not even got 120 officers spare these days. They probably haven't even got 120 officers. It, <laughs> yeah. mean, it wouldn't surprise me. In the whole of Merseyside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. got 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But they did work very fast. They After did. After the first like initial scepticism, um, you know, he, he gave like a call out to all officers on duty saying, you know, look out for her. And then the next morning they turned up at the house, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It was. Nice to see. Yeah. At the station, Ian was asked where he was during the time Helen disappeared, and he stated that he was with a friend. He also told the officers that he was with his mistress from 7pm that night, as usual. That makes me laugh. As usual. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, do I see me me missus then? Well, not that missus, me other missus. Yeah. Sounds about right. All right, all right, mate. (laughs) When they spoke to the woman in question, she had a different story. She explained that she had received a whispered phone call from Ian asking her to come at 8.30pm instead. But when she got there, he still wasn't home and didn't arrive back until around 10.20pm. Officers noticed that Ian had scratches on his neck, which originally, he explained, came from his wife after she found out he was having an affair. His wife claimed otherwise, and Ian then said they were from breaking up the argument between Helen and the woman in the toilet two days before her disappearance. The woman was questioned and she said she hadn't scratched him. If I was his wife, he'd get more than a bloody scratch on his neck. Yeah, especially like the whole living situation. It's, it would have been so easy for him to do it and clearly, well, clearly she trusted him not to. Yeah, or she just knew. Yeah. I don't know. But Maybe. yeah, if, if it was like one of those situations where she just found out he was having an affair... I think he'd probably have a black eye, never mind, scratch yeah. on his neck. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> At this point, officers secured a search warrant to look inside Ian's flat and impound his car. They found fingerprints made of blood in the flat that matched Ian's and blood in four different areas. A door, the hinges, the wallpaper on the stairs and in the back bedroom. In the car, more blood was found and an earring that Marie confirmed matched the ones Helen had been wearing on the day she disappeared. On Friday the 12th of February, 1988, Ian Sims was charged with the murder of Helen McCourt. His response was, I didn't do it. That's so fast, isn't it? Yeah, like within th- four days. They found him. Yeah. It's amazing. It is really good and obviously they didn't. They did the forensics right. Yeah. You know, they did everything right. They did. It's it's very rare that it's this easy. Yeah. Because obviously they, they did put a hell of a lot of work in. But, you know, the first person of interest was the guy. Yeah. I also think he's bloody stupid. 
But, oh yeah, he is. You know, they you know they never find a body and they still manage to convict yeah. him. It's just amazing. I mean, he can't be that stupid because they've never found the body. But anyway. The morning after Helen disappeared, a man was walking his dog alongside the Manchester Ship Canal in Hollings Green, Warrington, when he came across a pile of men's clothing. He reported it to the police and it was taken in as evidence, but because it was from a different police constabulary... Oh, I said it. Who did? Well done. It, was, it wasn't linked to Helen. The forensic scientist who had been investigating her case came across this bag of clothing and felt it was linked to Helen as there was a sweatshirt in there with Labatt branding, which is a brewery that was advertised all over the Georgian Dragon. Since there was no body to perform DNA testing on, the scientist decided to try a new type of DNA matching called familial DNA. This is now widely used, but in 1988 it hadn't been used in the UK to convict a murder. Using blood sampling from immediate family members, it was shown that the blood on the clothing, inside Ian's flat and inside his car, was an extremely high possibility to be Helen's blood. A month later, a woman's handbag was found by a passerby, and Helen's ID was inside the bag. Police on the scene also found the clothing Helen had been wearing that day, the other earring and electrical flex, which is a cable. Helen had been to a chemist on her way home that day and all the items bar one were in the area along with the receipt. The one missing item, a toothbrush, was found at Ian's flat. While looking for this item, police discovered a small clump of Helen's hair and the back of the earring found in the car. Shortly after this, in Rixton, Warrington, a shovel was found which belonged to Ian. Officers took the items of clothing to to Marie to identify and it was at this point that she describes herself breaking down completely. She says, they had to get the doctor out and I was given an injection. I was only asleep for a couple of hours and then I woke up screaming again. The clothing had been proved to Marie that Helen wasn't ever going to come home. Just can't imagine that as a mum too. You no. know, you hope, you hope she's coming home, you hope and you hope and you know, you, you push it out of your mind that she's dead. And that's that's just that is proof, isn't it? Yeah. Where else would she be with none of her clothes? And, and without a handbag. Yeah. And everything she bought was there, and yeah, you know it's. Yeah, because yeah. like if she'd have bought a toothbrush and other bits and bobs from a chemist, if she was going to run away, that makes sense that she would take all that stuff with her. Yeah. But so. it would just be a. He's just so stupid. You know, I suppose, like we said, it was very fast. Maybe he thought he had a bit longer to try and sort things out. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the police did such a good job, he didn't have time to deal with it all. Yeah. Like he didn't have a chance to clean his car or, you know, clean the walls in his house or throw away the toothbrush. Yeah. But still, you'd think he'd be up all night doing it if he wants to do a proper job. Well, yeah, but like we said earlier, he is a bit stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's arrogant, isn't he? So he thinks he can yeah. get away with everything. You know, he's getting away with the affair, so why can't he get away with this? Yeah. The search for Helen's body continued with the whole village being involved. They looked everywhere they thought Ian might have dumped her body, including inside a mine shaft and the Manchester Ship Canal, but with no luck. Michael, her brother, who was 19 at the time, explained that he wanted to be the one to find his big sister. 
A year after the case began, Ian Sims went to trial at Liverpool Crown Court. The Crown had the difficult task of proving that Helen was dead and that Ian had murdered her. They believed all the evidence they had against him would be successful. Their interpretation of the murder went as follows. They believed that on Helen's walk home from the bus stop at 5.15pm, Ian had beckoned her over to talk about the argument that had happened two days previous. Marie explained that Helen would have gone willingly in order to sort it out. The scream was heard by the witness at around 5.25, at which point they believed that Ian assaulted her inside his flat at the bottom of the stairs before dragging her upstairs and strangling her with the electrical flex. At some point on that evening or early the next morning, he put Helen in the boot of his car and dumped her at an unknown location. Ian's defence was that he had been set up. He claimed that someone had broken into his flat, killed Helen inside, stolen his jeans that were drying on a radiator, and then stolen his car to dump her body. Previously, stop laughing. Sorry. <laughs> it just sounds so silly, doesn't it? It really does. Previously, he had said that the blood in the boot belonged to his dog, who had cut its paw. The Crown explained that this blood was 126,000 times more likely to belong to a member of the McCourt family than his dog. The rings and bracelet that Ian wore had mud in them that matched the mud on the clothing found dumped in Hollings Green. Helen's coat also had carpet fibres on it that matched the carpet in Ian's flat. The electrical flex had Helen's hair on it. Ian's defence of a setup was just laughable. Yeah, really was. It's just, there's too much evidence. There really is. Too like, much. Why would someone want to set him up that bad? To break into his own flat, to kill somebody, to use his own car. To, to steal his, his own, jeans. Yes, to wear his own clothes. It's just like, I don't think anyone hates you that much. No. <laughs> so the Crown had so much evidence against him that a body just wasn't necessary. Three weeks after the trial started, it took a jury only five hours to find Ian Sims guilty of the murder of Helen McCourt. He was given a life sentence with a minimum of 16 years, and many of his appeals were denied due to him not revealing the the location of Helen's body. Ian has always proclaimed his innocence. So, sadly, in February of this year, Ian Sims was released from prison after serving 21 years. He is now 63 years old. Marie McCourt fought endlessly to keep him inside unless he told the family where he left Helen's body. She campaigned for what is nationally known as Helen's Law. All Marie wants to do is give Helen a Christian funeral and a burial. She has accepted that Helen is never going to come home and this is the last piece of the puzzle that will give her and the rest of Helen's family and friends the peace that they deserve. Marie believes that by keeping murderers imprisoned, will provide the incentive for them to reveal the location to give families the closure they need from such a terrible ordeal. Helen's Law, known lawfully as the Prisoner's Disclosure of Information About Victims Act, would mean number 1. Denying parole to murderers for as long as they refuse to disclose the whereabouts of their victims' remains. 2. Passing a full life tariff, denying parole or release until the murderer discloses the location and enables the recovery of their victim's remains. And three, automatically applying the following rarely used common law offences in murder trials without a body, 
preventing the burial of a corpse and conspiracy to prevent the burial of a corpse, disposing of a corpse and obstructing a coroner. Marie was unable to get this act passed before Ian was released, but two weeks ago, on the 4th of November 2020, it received a royal assent. This means that it is up to the Queen to pass this act now. Once this is done, it will become law. It is important to note that this act will also include paedophiles who refuse to identify who they have abused, not just murderers who refuse to tell the location of the body. This new update is fantastic for the law as a whole, but won't help Helen's family locate and bury her due to Ian's release earlier this year. What Marie has done for law, victims and their families is outstanding and has been her motivation to carry on over the years. She has also worked with Support After Murder and Manslaughter, a charity that supports victims grieving families to deal with the aftermath of a tragic and violent loss. Helen's family and friends described her as outgoing, social, friendly, loyal and happy. Her best friend Janet explained how she made you feel good just by being around her. Her mum smiled as she talked about Helen playing practical jokes on her. As with the case of Keith Bennett, the 12-year-old boy murdered by Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, whose body was never discovered and whose mum never stopped hoping for him to be found, Helen's family will never stop searching for her. Marie wore one of Helen's work suits to the trial in the hopes that Ian Sims would show some remorse and provide the information she desperately needed to no avail. In Ian's mind, if he said where he dumped her body, he will be saying he was guilty and he refuses to do that. In 1988, the DNA evidence showed that the blood was 168,000 to 1 of being Helen's. In 2004, with improving DNA testing, the rate jumped to 9.5 million to 1. Ian clearly killed Helen McCourt, but he is an arrogant man who will not back down on his conviction that he is innocent. Hopefully within the next year we will see Helen's law passed and more lost victims will be located. Just like Sophie Lancaster's mum Sylvia, Marie has left a legacy for her daughter that Helen would be proud of. A re- yeah, a round of applause for Marie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I really hope this gets passed. I mean, I don't. if it's been passed through the courts and whatever, I don't understand how laws are passed, but if it's been passed through the House of Commons... Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we're really good at politics, us. Loads. Um, and all the Queen has to do is go, oh, yes, that's very nice. We'll pass that. <laughs> that's how she talks. <laughs> I love that impression. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible impression. <laughs> Let's hope the Queen never accidentally hears that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Your Majesty. <laughs> yeah, all she has to do is say, yes, great, this should happen, which any person should agree with. Yeah, definitely. You know, especially with the paedophiles as well. Yeah. So it basically covers, if anyone takes pictures of kids, they have to say who these kids are. Yeah. Which I don't think a lot of time, they don't get found out who they are. No. So, you know, that would be fantastic for, for even that. And just for people who are still waiting to find where their family member is or their best friend is. So I don't, I don't think I could ever truly accept that they were dead without a body yeah i think a lot of people struggle with that don't they you need yeah. that proof yeah i mean if he'd have said 
yes, I killed her, but I'm still not going to tell you where the body is. At least that's some sort of clarity. Yeah. But the fact that he still, to this day, refuses to accept any responsibility in her murder, or even in harming her at all. Yeah. You know, for all we know, he could have just really hurt her and maybe threatened her and she ran away somewhere. I we mean, just not, don't know. Not likely, but no, I know what you're not, saying. But, you know, that I think as her mum or as her best friend or as her brother, it would be quite easy to think, what if? Yeah. And without even him just admitting it, you know, it's, it's so difficult to try and come to terms with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think he said he even saw her that day. No. You know, so he's denying everything. Apparently he was in bed with his missus, so I don't know. Well, he must have heard that guy break in if he was in bed with her. Very, very true. <laughs> <laughs> so where was he? Was he, like, in a coma Maybe. when this was happening? Potentially. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on that to see how it's going. Um, I am going to post the link to gov.uk where it says that it's gone to royal assent so if you want to look at that you can then you can kind of keep track of it but i'm excited to see it pass yeah we'll have to do an update yes we'll do an update i'll keep an eye on it we'll do an update yeah, definitely and hopefully that will mean that more people are found well yeah because like all right it might not convince certain psychos to give up the location yeah. But, you know, even if it persuades one in ten, you know, it's it's definitely something that could help a lot of people. It's like with Ian Brady. He had a whole life sentence anyway, so he's not going to yeah. say anything. He wasn't going to no. say where he was. No. I, I found that really sad that, you know, Keith's mum died. I know. And it was just so sad that she never knew where he was. And It really was. I just hope this doesn't happen here really but yeah i think they're gonna have to just find her yeah because he's never gonna say no and it's whether they managed to as well because you know like like we said before the police did such a good job they literally scoured every area they could think of the whole village got involved yeah so if they couldn't find her then you know the longer it goes the less likely it is yeah that she'll be found. Yeah, it's a shame. It is, it's, it's really sad. They're all really sad. I think they we are. say this every week. Oh, we... that was sad. They're well, all really sad. <laughs> they are really sad. Yeah. They are. For at least this one wasn't just like a mental health issue. This one's just a guy being a twat. Yeah, pretty much. We seem to do a lot of mental health issue people. We do. So, Amy... <laughs> what are you reading this week? Nosferatu. Yay! When did you start it? Uh, when? No. Friday. Right, okay. Friday. So we're causing this on Sunday, so you've only like two days. I've read a chapter. Well, at least you're reading. I just got glass in my hand. <laughs> How? Where have you got glass in your hand from? <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's tempered glass off my phone. Oh. Because so my screen cover 
because it's that cracked and broken in the corners. And I have two more downstairs. I just can't be bothered to change it. <laughs> um, and I, I was playing with the cover. And, now you've yeah. got glass in your hand. In my palm, yeah. Are you going to get it out or are you going to sit there? Well, I'll finish this and I'll get it out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you enjoying the one chapter you've read? The guy in the bed freaked me out. Oh, I forgot about him. Crazy guy. Yeah. But yeah, it it's right, it's straight into it. Yeah. Which is what I like. Um so yeah, I'm I'm hopefully gonna go to bed early enough tonight to get another chapter in. Yeah. Um Yeah. Well I don't sleep after recording. It's just something that doesn't happen. When we record late, out it's like well, it's quarter past ten now. Yeah. So I'm not gonna get to sleep till at least half twelve because my mind is just so awake after doing this. Yeah. I've got See, so when, many thoughts in my brain. When I mean go to bed early, I mean midnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like last night, I only got to bed at one o'clock and I was up at seven. Ooh. So I really could do with going to bed a little bit earlier. I apologize for that noise in advance. Well, not in advance. <laughs> What's the word? Nah, whatever. I apologise for the noise. That was a really <laughs> horrible noise. <laughs> yeah, I'm but glad yeah. you're reading it. Yeah, I am. I might read it myself. Now you're reading it. I kind of get it a bit more now that I've read even just that chapter. Okay. What the hype you mean? No, like Christmas Land. Oh, yeah. I was like, where is this place? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it doesn't exist. Christmas Land is a scary, scary place. It sounds it. It is. The main character is so cool. Don't ruin it. No, I'm just saying she's so cool. Okay. Like, you just want to be her. Okay. Apart from all the scary Christmas Land stuff she does. <laughs> so what are you reading this week? I have finished two books since last time Ooh. we recorded. Which one? I finished The Mime Order by Samantha Shannon. Instant five stars. Yeah. The ending was such a cliffhanger. See, it's always the ending that does it for me. Like, I I remember reading Under the Never Sky. Oh, yeah. Absolutely loved the first book. Loved the second book. Loved the third book right until the very end. I've still not read on the last one. I've read oh. the third, I've read two of them, and then I've, Mike bought me the third one very early on when we got together. Because mm. like, oh my god, I need this book. I need to read it right now. And it's been six years, and I've still not read it. Oh well, read about three quarters of it, and then, and then just like, stop. That was the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I've um, as soon as I finished the Mime Order, I put my request in for. The Song Rising, which is book four. No, three. Um, so I think I should get that either the last week of November or the first week of December. So I can't wait to read that. <laughs> I then read uh, My Name is Why by Lem Sisse. That's how you say his name. He's a poet and it's basically his life being brought up in care in Wigan. Oh, right. I was going to say it sounds like a very sad book. It is, but he tells it in a in a way it doesn't make it less sad but the way he tells it is very nice to read 
Okay. It's quite a frustrating... Like, so basically, he's in... His mum's from Ethiopia, and she was over here doing, like, at college or university. But because it was the mid-60s, and she was, like, on her own, un- unwed in this country, I can't remember if she was married at home or not, Um, they sent her up to Wigan to have the baby and then basically took the baby off her and said, you've got to put it into care, you've got to give it up for adoption. But she kind of thought that she would get him back is this real? Yeah. Well, that's horrible. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a place he went to between the ages of, I think it was sev- 16 and 17, called Wood End. And the stories that he tells about this place, you wouldn't think it was a real place because of how horrible it was. And if you just Google it, there's so many stories of people being abused in this place. Oh. Have you got the physical book? No. I got it from the library. Christmas. Do you want it for Christmas? That sounds really interesting. It is, and like I say, it's a re- it's really e- it's a really easy read. It basically, what are you doing? I've just took my flat out and I'm I looking at my like, curly hair. I thought you were showing me. <laughs> well, you can look if you want. <laughs> it's very nice. Thanks. Um, so, I think I think I've missed the whole point of it, but basically. Sorry. He gets his info. He he writes the story as he's given the folder of all his details. Oh wow! So it's like him finding all these things out, mm. telling it, saying how he felt about it, while also telling the story of what happened at each point of this information. Oh, that's crazy! Yeah, that sounds really good. But he lived in Ashton for about twelve years, thirteen years. Fighter. Yeah, fighter. And he we was can also... say that yeah. because our dad's from Wigan. We have nothing against Wiganers. No, all. <laughs> we do not. <laughs> um, yeah, he's also um, was in a foster family, a white foster family as a black kid. So he was the only black in the sixties in, in his in the sixties in his school. Oh. Um, his mum didn't know how to brush out. Well, his foster mum didn't know how to brush his hair. Oh. You know. Stuff like that. So he had a he had he had a, to deal with a lot of racism, but he was also kind of like a spectacle. You know, people loved him because he was black and he was different, and they wanted to be his friend. That was quite nice. Yeah. So not, he had not a, often you hear that. He had a bit of both. Yeah. It wasn't all just racism, which is nice, but he yeah. kind of got fed up of being that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but anyway, it's definitely worth a read. Um, it's 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 a nice, it's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. And now I'm reading How to Stop Time by Matt Haig, which is basically about a man who doesn't age the same way as we age. So he was born in fifteen something, and it's like two thousand and seventeen or something. So he's about three hundred odd years old, but he looks in his forties. That sounds really shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he just says how shit it is, basically. <laughs> I'd hate to live that long. <laughs> yeah. His, his love of his life died of the Black League. Aww. See, that, that's what's so shit about it. It's like everybody around you would just drop off one by one and you'd be there like 200 years later, like, still here. <laughs> yeah. I'm only 40. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's not, the, it's not the greatest book in the world, but... It's an easy read. It's nice to read before you go to bed. That's good. 
But after that book, I'll have read 60. I'll be done with my 2020 reading challenge after that. And you've still got like six weeks of the year left. Yeah. Not bad going. No, I'm doing all right, considering I didn't read at all last month. Yeah? Yeah. I think I've got my um, work podcast life balance right now. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've not. No. Nope. <laughs> but at least you only have to show up. <clears throat> yeah, but we have another special. Yes, we do. Um, Coming we, up. I figured out what I was doing yesterday and Amy's figured out what she's doing today. So we're both really excited to do it now. I can't wait to do it. And still no one sent in their own stories. So please send your spooky, strange stories to write to remain silent pod at gmail.com because we'd really like to read some out. Yeah. Even if it's just something, you know, we can talk about for two minutes. Yeah, just anything. Just something really creepy that's happened or something you can't explain. Yeah. I mean, we could say our own, but it's not really a fun, is it? It's better if we had some interaction. Yeah. So interact, please. <laughs> Yay. Right, well, we'll leave it here because it's late and this is long. Well, it it's is. not long, really. It feels long. <laughs> <laughs> no offence, guys. <laughs> no, but it's 20 past 10 on yeah. a Sunday. <laughs> it is. Um, if you want to follow us, you can do on Twitter and Instagram at RTRSpod. Or you can join our Facebook... <laughs> Try again. Or... <laughs> I can't. <clears throat> or you can join our Facebook group, which is Right to Remain Silent Pod. And our email again is right to remain silent pod at gmail.com. Um, we're still not on YouTube. It's going to happen before the end of the year. I just haven't got time to sit down and do that right now. But it will be done. No later than Christmas. So if you want to watch us on YouTube, you can do that. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, stay safe with Corona. And see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.